0: So glad you're here. Let's turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll get right into the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, Paul praises the people for their orderliness in the family. talks about Christ being the head of every man, and the man being the head of every woman, of his wife. Paul praises them for how they honored God with their spiritual practices. Couldn't get any better than the compliments that he was giving them in the first 16 verses. Now in verse 17, the tone of the chapter changes. Paul did well, and he did something that all good communication books will tell you to do. You start out with the positive before you go to the corrective measure. Why do we do that? Well, we get defensive, don't we? We get defensive whenever someone criticizes us. We stiffen. We put our chin up and we cross our arms. We start looking at that person that has brought this to us. We start pointing out their faults or we try to look for the faults in other people. Because we're good, aren't we? Paul, what about all that stuff you just told us? In the first 16 verses, are you really going to tell us something negative now? Yes, he is. And we all need to hear the negatives that are out there about us, if they are corrective, if they are to bring about spiritual growth. We should listen to those people who care about us and who want to see us grow. We should listen to our enemies in some cases, those who do not like us, for if we are exuding the love that we should for our enemies, they'll eventually have a different opinion about us if we're loving them as we have been instructed. We must humble ourselves as we listen to critiques about our spiritual life. That's what Paul's doing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 17. He's talking to them about things that they need to hear. He's writing to them about the corrections they should make in their life. Let's look at chapter 11 and verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. The church is in its early days, it's in its infancy, they're coming together, they're still learning the rules of engagement, about how they should come together as a group of people, and Paul tells them, You're coming together, but it's not for good reasons. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. There's divisions among you. Christ brings us together. Why are there divisions among you? He actually addresses this in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, and it had to do a great deal with doctrinal matters. People were saying they were of Paul and of Apollos, and he corrects that real quick. He says, we're baptized into Christ. I have not died for anyone. There's divisions among the church at Corinth. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. When there are divisions within a congregation, there are those who are ensuring that that division happens. There are those that because of their behavior because of the hatred of other people, because of the fact that they like drama, that they create the divisions that are within the congregation. And that kind of ruffles everybody's feathers. But here in verse 19, those who are approved may become evident among you. There will be those people who do not like the divisions, and they'll begin to stand out. They'll begin to show that they are true followers of God, and they'll try to squash that division and they'll try to make it better. It's difficult, though, because any sort of division is bad. Verse 20, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. In this, Paul is referring to the early church custom of combining the love feast, many commentators have called it, we might call it a fellowship meal, they're combining that with the Lord's Supper. And think about it for a second. It made sense to them at the time. Because when Jesus was discussing the Lord's Supper, when He was doing that, when He was bringing it about, He was actually eating with His disciples in those moments. So it made sense to them to combine that, but it's turning into something that it was never intended to do. They're not meeting for spiritual matters. They are meeting to fill their own bellies. And the Lord's Supper is getting kind of pushed to the side and, and mistreated for what it should be. And it's being disregarded. And Paul is now bringing that about. You're not meaning to eat the Lord's Supper. It's changed. You're changing it. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. This is selfish eating. Okay? I love the pigs in the blanket at the fellowship hall. Okay? I love them. But I'm not going to take the last one. I know Adam Soha wants it, so I'm going to let him have that one. Okay? I can't take the last one, the last sausage ball or whatever it might be. Okay? I love those things. So I don't want to be selfish. But these people, they were being selfish. In in a, a, a meeting such as this, those who had a lot would, would bring more food. Okay? Those who had a lot would bring more food, but then those who had less, they couldn't bring as much. There was some division here, one of the divisions in this church, in many of the early New Testament churches, between the rich and the poor. And he brings that out here. In eating, one takes his own supper first. He's thinking about himself. And one is hungry, and another is drunk. You've got so much food here, people are, are getting their own. And one person is hungry, he hasn't had anything. And another person has drank so much... He's actually drunk. So this is just illustrating the division here that's among them. And not only that, the heart that would have to be in somebody's self to say to a person, no, you stand over there, I saw what you brought, you only brought one dish, and it was chipped in, in the, on the corner, so I'm going to have mine first. They're very selfish in their eating here. What, he says, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? He asked them a very important question here. Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? As people came to this meal, as people came to worship at the church at Corinth, they were thinking to themselves, I'm going to get fed. I'm going to get fed physically, I'm going to get fed spiritually. And they were looking forward to it, and it was something that we even continue today through our fellowship meals, observance of the Lord's Supper. Of course, they're separate, obviously. But they were doing it incorrectly. Fellowship is important. Coming together is important. But worshiping the Lord is important as well. And he asked them, can you not eat elsewhere? Can't you take care of that? You're creating an element of worship that should not be there. Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? How did those people feel who didn't bring as much? How did those people feel who were hungry? You know, they, they didn't go to the local grocery store and pick up as much as they wanted. How did they feel, those hungry people, when the person next to them across the table in the corner was drunk because he'd had so much? The grease from the food just, you know, in his beard. He'd had so much, not a pretty sight. But he was full and he was drunk. And this person over here is hungry. Paul's thinking, what are you doing, church? We're supposed to be bringing about cohesion. We're supposed to be bringing about togetherness. But you're filling your own bellies. Do you despise the church? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this I will not praise you. Paul is very frustrated at the church of Corinth here. And it brings about an important question for us to consider Do you despise the church? Your attitude towards the church is a matter of great importance because it reflects how you will then interact with it as a body, with its people individually with its ministries and things that it does, if you despise the church, there are things that you may be acting out in or not doing, and you might be shortchanging yourself spiritually speaking. The question here, of course, was asked primarily about the Lord's Supper. The Corinthian congregation was abusing it. They were perverting it, making it an occasion of gluttony and intemperance. And Paul rose up in protest. He says, don't do this, you're doing it all wrong, you're missing the point. There are other areas that we are going to look at this morning to see if it is in fact an area wherein you despise the church of God. Despise, that's a pretty strong word. and In some cases, you might use it to explain yourself in a way that's even greater than hate. You know, you love something or you hate something, but do you despise it? And we might use that in a phrase such as like, I despise it with my every being, every fiber of my being. So I think here Paul is using this word in a very heavy way. And the question this morning is, do you despise the church? Do you look down on it with contempt? Do you disregard it? Do you neglect it? We're going to consider this this morning. So, what are some ways that we might despise the church? Number one, we can despise the church by missing its assemblies. Each Christian should be exceedingly conscientious concerning the habit of regular church attendance, it should be a priority. Now, I know all, not always, you can't always be here. That's a discussion for maybe a personal time or in a different way. But attendance is important. And whenever we miss, it should bother us. You should say to yourself, man, I wish I was there. It hurts me that I can't be present with the brethren this morning or or tonight. It should be a matter that it, it, it pains you to miss out. And when you do, perhaps you take measures to correct it. Perhaps it was unavoidable. So you take measures to mitigate that. Many people might meet for early morning devotional because they have to go someplace. They might worship elsewhere as they travel and and head in one direction or another. Many on fall break this week will will attend Bible study at at a sister congregation. Oh, great things. But basically, the question is do you despise the assembly of the church? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 says this Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast to what we believe. Let us hold fast to our faith. Not, let's put it in a closet and just pull it out whenever we need it. But let us hold fast. Let us use it. Well, how do we do that? Let's continue. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's part of the fellowship. That's part of coming together. That's part of working together. And we can't do that if we're not here. Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And I hope that's why you miss us when you're not here, is because you want to be encouraged. Because you want to be built up. You want to feel better spiritually. And I hope that happens when you come here. I hope that happens through the inspirational lessons and classes, through the challenging messages that that you'll hear from the classes, or from myself, or whoever might be up here, from the singing. I hope you miss it because you think, man, physically I'm dead, but spiritually on a Wednesday night I want to be there. You know why? Because I feel better when I get out. Boy, you know, when we look at our phone and that battery's charged, we're like, all right. You know, i got enough energy to last the day. Whenever you leave here on a Wednesday night, that should be the energy you need to get throughout the rest of the week. Psalm chapter 122 and verse 1 says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I hope that indeed we can all say that. So we can despise the church by missing assemblies. We can also despise the church by not preparing for worship services. You know, I make sure my tie is on straight. Perhaps you do the same. Make sure your shirt's pressed. Got the right shoes. We want to come in. We want to, want to look at least nice, presentable, my mother would say. But John 4 and verse 24 says that God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Are you taking measures to ensure that you are worshipping Him in that fashion? Those who are teaching and speaking should be prepared. But also, the congregation should be prepared for the the worship when we come in here. You know, I pour over these lessons, the teachers pour over their lessons, and, and they're prepared. But are you prepared to hear and to listen and to sing? Maybe you're not the best singer, but maybe those words really resonate with you, and you focus on that. For a little while, and hopefully you're not thinking about worldly stuff. When we're in here, we've got to focus on spiritual matters, and that's how our faith is built, that's how we are strengthened, that's how we show we love the church, rather than despise her. Worship itself is not accidental. We must prepare our hearts for it, for you can't hate your brother, you can't hate your sister and sit there and be right with God. You've got to examine yourself and see how you are living and be prepared in that fashion. If there's something that is wrong in your life and you need help with it, we have a call at the end of the lesson to come forward and we'll pray for you. Perhaps you need the public prayer of the congregation. Or maybe you need to ask myself, one of the elders or someone else that you trust, to pray for you so that when you do come here, you are prepared as a listener and as a participant in the worship service. In the assembly, our our minds should be in a reverent place. And we should be respectful for we are in the presence of of our Creator. We are in the presence of our Savior. And our minds, our hearts, how we are and how we act while we are here should reflect that. That we know that we are here to be in a reverent state of mind. Matthew 18 and verse 20 reminds us of this where two or three have been gathered together in My name, I am there in their midst. Is God not important? Isn't He important to the Corinthian church? Paul had to question them on that. Why are you getting drunk and letting somebody else go hungry? Why are you doing that, Christian? That's not the example that Christ gave. That's the example they got from the pagans. That's what the pagans did. The pagans worshipped their false gods, and had these revelrous uh, feasts, had these outlandish feasts where they would get drunk and do all types types of debauchery. Perhaps this is an example that we can relate to today as the world creeps more and more into the church. And the Bible doesn't shape it, but rather popular opinion shapes it. But here we see referenced where God is in your midst when you're there, and I don't think we fully realize what that means, but Paul was correcting the Corinthian church and telling them, do you despise the church? I know Jesus has ascended into heaven, but He is there in your midst. He said so in Matthew chapter 18, that Brother Matthew will pin later, as I'm writing you this letter. Are you sure that you are giving God the reverence that He deserves? So be ready for worship services whenever you come. We can also despise the church in our weak religious beliefs and convictions. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, please. 1 Peter chapter 3. We talk a great deal about how Jesus died for us. And we know that and we understand that. We'll observe the Lord's Supper ourselves in just a little while to honor that, that event that happened. So we understand that it's important, but... Do we carry out in our lives knowing why we believe what we believe? Is there a religious question that you have that needs to be addressed? Tell me about it. Perhaps I'll preach on it. I love a good challenge. There's something that you would like to hear taught on. Perhaps it might be more effective though in a class. There's some subjects that are like that. Perhaps it would be well suited for a class. And let's develop yourself spiritually speaking because if you are a weak Christian, when you should be a strong Christian at this point, you're not a babe in Christ. You were baptized years ago. Why are you still weak? Whenever you are a weak Christian, that is how you can also despise the church. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Put Him in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asked you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Can you give an account for the hope that is in you? Can you tell a stranger? Can you tell a close friend why you believe what you believe? Can you do that? And can you stand firm on that faith? Because if you love the church, you want to know more about her. You want to know more about what it stands for, and you want to keep growing in your spiritual life. And you've got to do it, he says here, with gentleness and reverence. Not in a pompous attitude. Let me tell you all the Greek words I know. Not that way, but in a way that shows how God has changed your life. Verse 16, and keep a good conscience... So that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. As you grow in Christ, people will see and know, you know what, I, I, I know their character. They wouldn't do anything like that. For it is better, verse 17, if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. We must stand up for our beliefs because it is through Jesus Christ, that we have salvation, and we must tell other people that. But so many people turn to the world, turn to material things, turn to popular opinion for their lives, and they follow that. Well, we see the mistakes of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament and how they went after other gods. And may none of us here this morning within earshot of my voice to other gods in their life from the youngest to the oldest this morning but may we always strive to have strong religious beliefs and convictions our beliefs are important let's look at Acts chapter 4 and we must be ready always to defend them if you were to have a conversation in school and someone were to ask you or at work and someone were to ask you about why we believe and practice in certain ways, could you answer those questions? There's some great books out there. Perhaps you just want to study for yourself. And it's a great place to start. I have some great books. We've got great books in our library where you can really fortify your faith and not have one that's weak or or that's greatly lacking. Acts chapter 4, and verse 18. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak, or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We all need that level of faith. I can't stop speaking about it. You know, I get up here every Sunday because I'm excited about what I have to tell you. And I hope that every day of your life, whenever you read the Scriptures, whenever you think on spiritual things, that you get excited about what you read because that brings about conviction. That brings about belief in important things that are life-changing and that have a wonderful place in eternity. But we must be ready to give an account in all things. And I would like to challenge our young men to consider their future work In the church, and I would also like to encourage our young ladies to consider their role in ministry. Brody does a great job with the youth program here. We have lads' leaders, other avenues where the young people can grow and develop their faith and practice their faith, because it comes becomes so important as they look to the future and where they will be establishing themselves in their home life and what congregation will they go to if they move away from here? Where will they worship? And they'll do those things because parents, other members here, because we instilled in them the importance of a faith that goes beyond these walls. Mark chapter 8 and verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I do not want Jesus to be ashamed of me, and I know you do not either. We can also despise the church with worldly and inconsistent lives. Romans chapter 2 and verse 21. Let's back that up a little bit. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2 and verse 21, yes, Romans 2 and verse 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? So I, I know the conversations that we would have in here about sinful behavior. If we had a class right now about, about um, fleshly lust, about the lust of the flesh, I know how that conversation would go. But how are you living your life? That's what Paul is bringing about to the Roman congregation here. How would you go about living your life? You who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? If I were to ask you a question about stealing, is stealing wrong? Yes. Do you do it? No. That's good. But if I were to ask you a personal question, perhaps a more personal question, about a sin in your life, In here, you might say, no, I don't do that. But do you do it outside of you? That's what Paul is bringing about to the Christians here. You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Do you go and get idols yourself? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. So how are you living your life? Christians, we should have high standards of behavior. And that's what Paul is saying here. Pretty much just practice what you preach and live a Christian life that brings honor to God. In our world today, lowliness is prized in our society. But not the humble kind. Not the humble kind wherein someone looks at themselves as a lowly individual in need of God's saving grace, but rather lowliness as in behavior, as in a constant sinful behavior where people just just look for those, those things that the Bible speaks against and they want to lower themselves to engage in those lustful, sinful behaviors. Christians, we've got to rise above that. We've got to live a life that honors God. We've got to live a life that says, there goes a Christian. Because Paul talks about this. He says in verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You're supposed to be a Christian. But those people outside of here, the Gentiles, they see the sin in your life. And you say though that you shouldn't do that, but yet you do it. Being hypocritical is the shorthand of this. That's the question for you this morning. Are you living an inconsistent life? Are you stealing? Perhaps not from the store, but are you doing something else along those lines? Conducting yourself in a sinful way. And people may may cry, well, you, you just think you're better than me. I don't think I'm better than anybody. But I do know that I'm a Christian. And I am better than I once was. And I want you to be better than you once were as well. So you must follow Christ for that to happen. The question here is, which way does the influence flow? We have friends that we are around, and, and they don't live the best of lives. They don't, they're not Christians. They don't live uh, as Christ has instructed them. We say, well, Dale, I, I want to influence them. And that's good, and you should. Well, let me give you something to think about. Have you ever been around a little toddler or a child just learning to talk or, or maybe a child that, that mixes their, their letters up? It's pretty cute, isn't it? That little girl on the Pinnacle commercial, I just melt when she says pickin' I just love that. And they're milking that for all it's worth. That's as cute as a thing as I've ever seen whenever she says that. Well, what happens when you are around such cuteness? Well, the adults oftentimes will begin talking like that child. The influence you see is flowing in the wrong direction. It's novel and interesting. I've never heard someone speak like that before. Perhaps an accent that you've never heard someone speak before. And you start taking that accent on. You know, many actors will do that. They live overseas for a time. I'm like, man, you're from Kentucky. You've got to quit talking like that. But the influence is going the wrong way. We've got to be careful of that. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You must live a consistent life, one that is consistent with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you despise the church. In 1 Timothy 4, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. The influence of Christ should go in that direction, towards other people, so that you might ensure salvation for yourself and those who hear you. What does that mean? That means that as you live your life, people will want to know, well, what is this this Christian lifestyle that you're talking about? The generations that are coming up will know less and less about it. And they will be the perfect ones to go to and to speak to about this type of living as the lives that they live do not bear the fruit that they were hoped, that they were promised. But if we are to be like Christ and reach the lost with Him, we must be sure that our lives are always consistent with Scripture. Now we'll make mistakes, we'll fumble, we'll, we'll, we'll foul up a lot of things. We'll foul up a lot but thankfully, because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of those foul ups and of when we mess up. And we're all in need of that grace. But many here this morning perhaps are not Christians. They've not been baptized. And I encourage you this morning to come forward during this last song or see me in the, in the foyer and we can talk about you becoming a Christian. We can do it today and you can be added to the body of Christ and you can stop despising the church. Or if you are a Christian and have fallen away and need prayers, I hope you'll come forward and let us pray for you as well. There are two types of people who despise the church. Those who are not Christians, those who don't want anything to do with it, and those Christians who should know better. And I hope that after the lesson this morning, you'll no longer despise the church, but you'll develop some goals for your faith, and that you'll start striving for those goals this very morning. Please come now as we stand and encourage you.